We love to meet fear with facts, but fear is an emotion. Fear is a feeling. And so we need to actually meet fear, a feeling, with more feeling. And I think that's where we sometimes have a gap is when we're talking to people about sensitivities of tests and transmission rates with masks. People aren't hearing us if they're scared. I have a personal fascination um, with conversations with doctors for very, as I'm sure a lot of people do, very personal reasons. It now goes back, uh, I know it was March 31st, uh, 1997, um, our daughter Alexandra was born. Uh, and when Alexandra was born, it happened to be five weeks early. She happened to end up uh, in the, the NICU, as they call it, uh, natal intensive care, because she weighed uh, under four pounds. So there, Lisa and I were uh, the first night where she was in the warmer in the machine, and we were two very, very frightened uh, and sleep-deprived people. And the head of the NICU came in, uh, it was like 2 in the morning, maybe 2.30 in the morning, stopped by and said, well, everything's looking good, and your uh, daughter uh, may be here a few days, but everything's going to be fine. And so I began to ask him questions, tried to engage him in a conversation to somehow make sense out of just what the hell was going on. Um, and he said, you know, I'd really love to stay and talk, uh, but I've got a meeting I have to get to, uh, and somebody will be by a little bit later to help you. And I was forever scarred. Uh, as a as a person interested in the importance of conversations, obviously by that moment. But what's really good is that I have had a lot of great conversations in those ensuing 23 years. And I'm lucky enough uh, to have come across um, this very interesting uh, medical company called One Medical. Um, and for a variety of reasons, uh, I was really excited to get our guest on today, who I'm going to just throw it to, Dr. Natasha Bouillon, um, who is going to talk a little bit about herself, and then we'll pick up more about Doctors and Conversations. So, Doctor, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for your vulnerability in sharing that experience in medicine. I think many people can relate to you, and that's something that I care about in my career. So a little bit of background on me. My name is Natasha Bouillon. I'm a family physician in Phoenix, Arizona at One Medical. I'm also the regional medical director of our West Coast markets for One Medical, and so I approach medicine in two different ways. One is really supporting patient care and making sure that patients don't have the experience you did, making sure that they have an elevated experience in healthcare. And number two, it's supporting our clinicians to get there. It's supporting our clinicians, making sure we're developing them, making sure that we're giving our clinicians the right tools to have the right conversations with our patients. Mm -hmm. And, and how, how long have you been uh, uh, slogging away at this very important work? Uh, give us a little bit of the, the ramp up to, uh, to today's practice. Yeah, so I actually joined One Medical in 2015, and it was the first place that I joined out of residency. And I will tell you, after my residency, I was looking high and low for the perfect place to work. And, you know, being in family medicine, you've got lots of opportunities, right? There's FQHCs, I could open up my own practice, there's large health systems you can work for, lots of private doctors. You know, I even interviewed with a university 
university, campus health. And so there was lots of options. But I think what I found in a lot of different settings is there was so much of the system of medicine that was overriding the interpersonal connections of patients. And one medical really valued the patient-clinician interaction. That was why we were here. And every single person I spoke to, they had that same opinion. You know, there's so much noise in medicine. And really, I was thinking of where's the simplest place that I can go to work? And it's funny, one medical is very high tech. It's a wonderful system, but at the same time, it's so simple. And I think that's the secret sauce. When you, as any normal human being, let alone someone on the front line, when you're feeling, when you see what's in front of you, though, how do you um, you know, I, I hear obviously the pride in your voice and in your story of how your company, you know, you tell the story really well about I can see all the people pulling together. But it does start, at least in my experience, great teamwork starts with choices that individuals make, right? That's what some people forget. We is a nice word, but what is the I, right? What is the what is the individual either motivation or reminder that you, I would imagine, almost have to invoke, if not every day or every hour, at least every day? What is, the, what is, what is it that keeps you going, really? There's a big piece of medicine that is humility. And what I have to always tell myself is that we go through this big training in medicine and you learn to have answers for people and investigate and diagnose. And then you actually enter the field of medicine and you learn that there's so many times that you just don't have answers for people. And I think reconciling that ego with the humility of medicine, I think that's very powerful. You know, one story that I think of is during this pandemic, one of my patients, he, you know, we're going through his health plans and fitness goals. He had to reschedule his wedding because of course the pandemic hit and needed to reschedule it. But in the midst of that, his fiance decided to call the wedding off. And she took it as a sign. Um, I'm not sure where she processed this from. This was a surprise to my fiance, to my patient. And I didn't have any answers for him. You know, he went through this grief and this process. There was nothing that I could say that would make it better. There was no exercise plan that's going to get him through this. And it was really just listening to the patient and just understanding the magnitude of what people are facing right now and just being there to support them without having all the answers. Of course, that one you didn't have the answer for. What happened to him, though? Do you know? I mean, not medically, but did he did he meet somebody new? Not yet. He, he's been talking a lot with me about how he wants to do a, I guess it's a reverse bachelor party. So he takes okay. out his guys and okay. they want to go somewhere and celebrate being single. But we've been talking about like maybe now is not the best time to yeah. travel. So what might that look yeah. like in the future? Bachelor parties with social distance. That's an interesting concept, but that's maybe another podcast. So, um, you know that you, we were talking before we went on about our, our mutual uh, personal hero, Dr. Gawande, um, who, who, as you know, wrote that, that great book, uh, written a number of great books. But, but one that really taught me that I'd appreciate your perspective on is, you know, in, in the Checklist Manifesto, he, he, he talked and really documented very nicely something I'm sure you see every day. And that is how the, the, the treatment of patients has become just compared to quote unquote, the old days, very, very complex for hospitals, for, for doctors themselves. 
And I'm really curious as to how you go about, you personally go about ensuring that the patient in essence has the best shot to get the best care, even in the face of what what did he say in the book? It was 6,000 possible treatments for certain uh, indications and all the rest. How do you um, establish what must be very challenging, uh, you know, relationships and conversations with your colleagues to make sure that the handoff from place to place uh, goes as well as it must go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is such an important topic. It's just communication in medicine among colleagues. And there's a couple of principles that I always anchor to. And one of those principles is shared decision-making. So making sure that our patients feel empowered to be part of the decision-making process. You know, medicine used to be very paternalistic and doctors would tell patients what to do. And now it's much more collaborative and we value patient autonomy. But, you know, on the topic of collaboration, let me share a little story. We actually did a pandemic exercise back when I was in medical school, believe it or not. And it was running through severe flu pandemic. And a really big part of that box scenario, it was just understanding how to communicate with teams. And it was not just communicating with other doctors and different specialties. We were literally practicing how to communicate with an entire interdisciplinary care team, nurses, behavioral health, social workers, phlebotomists. And when you think about it, That's actually been a strength in this pandemic response, you know, seeking different professions and different healthcare. People are just coming together and putting patients at the center and really letting letting patients drive what the response might look like. And that's not, that's not by accident. That's really the result of a very intentional movement in medicine to deliver team-based care. And what's been particularly unique at One Medical is our care team's transcend time and space. So the team is often virtual. And, you know, at One Medical, we've got more than 85 offices across the U.S. And we integrate that in-office care with lab services. But we know that healthcare doesn't start and stop between the four walls of an office. So we have a really robust virtual team. And so we're kind of shifting this paradigm in medicine from a healthcare team sitting around a room, around a table in the same space to what does it look like when multiple members of that care team are coordinating care in the office, but also virtually. And you know, our virtual medical team, they are people I work with very closely. They might refill my patient's blood pressure medication. They might provide them some education and say, follow up with Dr. Bouillon. And that patient views me as part of their care team, as their PCP. But now that virtual care team member is also part of the team. And I, as a PCP, can build relationships with not only my patients, but also build relationships with members of my team, understand their practice style, and make sure that the work that we both do complement each other. That makes a lot of sense. You know, the, the other area of, obviously, the, the care uh, that has to be executed upon uh, you began to mention it in your answer, and that was about you know um, empowering the patient. Um, I, I, I let let me combine for a second the complexity of you know working with other professional colleagues and the I'm sure even higher emotional complexity of working with the patients, and and ask you one 
uh, question to time together. If you had to pick the communication action or behavior that serves you best, that, that in all that training and all that pandemic preparation, in all the seeking of understanding, what's the thing that, that you, you know, make sure you do your, your darndest every day to make sure that that happens. Mm-hmm. And you, I'm not demonstrating it here, but it's really closing my mouth and just listening. You know, there's research out there that talks about a lot of clinicians We will let patients speak for 17 seconds before we interrupt them. And just really thinking about how do we let patients tell their story without feeling constrained by time, without feeling other constraints in medicine, and truly just listen and not feel we are only listening in order to form a response, but truly listening, seeking to understand. It's something that I am still practicing every single day and still getting better at. Help me then, you know, the really interesting thing that I was really struck by in looking at One Medical, uh, and, you know, the website and, and having heard enough about it is this, I mean, they literally use the phrase on the, in, in the branding of the organization that you are tech-enabled care, right? Um, is, is anyone, you know, uh, me, you, and uh, everybody who's probably listening in has been you know, sucked into the Zoom world uh, in the last few months. Uh, popular articles about Zoom fatigue. Um, you know, there's good and there's bad, or as I say, there's a, a blessing and a curse to Zoom. My question is, when it comes to patient uh, communication, right, dealing directly with the patient, what is your you know opinion? What is your overall um, experience? with technology uh, being necessary for conversation. Yeah, and communication with patients is obviously another hot topic. You know, for us, while many medical practices have scrambled to implement virtual care options in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, we were lucky because One Medical was already prepared in that we've been providing this human-centered tech Powered approach to our patients for years. You know, we have this incredible tech team of over 100 people, and they've really built this intuitive and user-friendly platform within One Medical. And and I'm telling you, it's for all ages, because I've got my patients who are older than 65, and they are very happy on our app as well. And it's, you know, part of our membership, but the One Medical app it's 24-7. There's, it's on-demand care. People can do video chats. Um, an easy thing that we have is this thing called Treat Me Now. There's a survey where we can digitally address common concerns like brushes and UTIs on our app. It's can send us messages. They can send me a message as their PCP. They can get prescription renewals. I mean, they can even upload their own vitals so I can monitor their their own vitals. And so I think what we've always heard is there's this great feedback from patients that on-demand virtual chats, they've loved them. They've loved them the years that we've offered them. The new thing that we've been able to offer in response to the pandemic, it's the option of remote video visits because it allows patients to book a virtual appointment with a regular primary care provider like me. And so In addition to that 24-7 virtual chat option for quick things like pink eye, we've got that remote video visit option to talk with your PCP about health goals, nutrition, sleeping, following up bugs. And I think what the pandemic has also done, it's pushed the medical system 
to rethink what we've historically expected to manage in the office versus virtually. So for example, historically, we think musculoskeletal concerns, we've got to see you in the office for that. But we've learned that we can actually do some pretty creative maneuvers on a video and diagnose things like carpal tunnel. But at the same time, one medical is unique because if I ever think that one of my patients needs to be seen in the office and I can't do them justice via video, I'm able to bring them into the office too, which is very unique from other virtual only platforms. Yeah, but when you think about communication, like the actual like words we use to communicate with patients. This topic I've actually previously written about because in medicine, some people say the language of medicine, it's its own beautiful lexicon, but other people think the language of medicine is just unnecessary jargon. And we're trained to avoid that medical jargon. But as you progress in your career, you have to be more intentional about that because the language of medicine, it just starts to get ingrained in you. And I remember the story of um, in residency, I once told a patient she had a hairline fracture after a fall. And I was referring to a small fracture in her foot. And she was like, are you sure doc, a hairline fracture? I didn't even hurt my head. (laughs) And so then it made me realize like, oh, you've got to be mindful of this. Like anytime you're talking with people and especially during this pandemic, you might remember when the pandemic first hit, we called it the novel coronavirus, referring to the family of viruses. And then we called COVID-19 the disease. And then recently we're calling SARS-CoV-2 the actual name of the virus. All of this means very little to the public. And so I view one of my roles that's very important is bridging that communication chasm between doctors and the public. So in the scientific community, we have to earn the trust of the public and it has to be done intentionally. And sometimes it's the smallest of actions. And so, for example, this is something we think about all the time at One Medical, but rather than telling a patient they have a negative test result, we just tell them the result because negative has a bad connotation. So if you tell someone your coronavirus swab results, rather than saying your coronavirus test was negative, which sounds bad, we tell the patient the virus was not detected. And that's much more clear. And just thinking about in every one of our actions, how do we get clarity of communication with our patients? It's a big priority. Yeah. So from a pure teaching perspective, all of these learnings that that you've just shared, two or three, how does one medical or, you know, how how do you, um, sorry for the phrase, spread that, right? How do you make sure that because it's so important what you're saying uh, literally almost everything from the listening to the watch your language to, uh, to the things that you say to yourself all of that is so key how do they make sure at one medical that every if you will every doctor is at least exposed to the opportunity to learn that Mm-hmm. It's something that we highlight while we're at One Medical. So it's not something where we hire people and say, okay, go. We're continually thinking about what does lifelong learning in medicine look like? And how do we learn from each other? How do we highlight best practices? How do we keep having trainings about communications? And I think the most important point is how do we acknowledge when we fall short? And just really this culture of feedback of acknowledging like, Here's where I might have fallen short. 
had a gap of communication with a colleague or a patient and acknowledging that and feeling comfortable moving forward and viewing it as learning experience, that takes a level of vulnerability. And I'll tell you, a lot of cultures in medicine, they don't allow people to be vulnerable because in medicine, you just have to be the best and you have to be perfect. And so being part of a system that allows our clinicians to be as human as our patients it really does lead to a stronger clinician-patient experience in the long run. Mm. Well, that, I mean, that's, that sounds exactly like how you would want people to feel. However, if I could just, just drill down on that a little bit, because it's such a reality of medicine, um, is the notion of when you fail. Um, and it, it, it almost hooks up for me to this question about when you have to have the patient come in the office because all of that is wrapped into communication about the hard things, right? About the, the difficult things. You know, what do you, how do you think through that? Let me, let me stay with talking to the patient where they have to come in the office because let's be honest with all the great, at least I think so, uh, with all the great technology, patients are still COVID or otherwise are still frightened. And how do you man? How do you manage and deal with fear um, over and over technology or with mm-hmm. technology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one one thing I've learned about fear is that oftentimes scientists. We love to meet fear with facts. So if somebody has fear, we show up with journals, we show up with facts, but fear is an emotion. Fear is a feeling. And so we need to actually meet fear, a feeling, with more feeling. And I think that's where we sometimes have a gap is when we're talking to people about sensitivities of tests and transmission rates with masks. People aren't hearing us if they're scared. And so that's where I really lean on working through emotions of our patients, working through emotions of our team members, validating those feelings and letting the team member or the patient kind of drive that conversation. Because what ends up happening often in medicine is a patient will say, I'm scared. I don't want to come in X, Y, Z. And the clinician says, let me tell you why I'm right. And here's all the facts to back me up. And here's all the science to back me up. And people aren't hearing that much. And so I think one thing that I've just learned is how do we meet feelings with more feeling and then get to kind of a consensus. And I think the other thing too, is when we enter these conversations, I can't be in a conversation with a patient thinking that the end goal is X, Y, Z. For example, I think a patient should take a particular medication. I can't walk into that conversation thinking the end result has to be that you're going to take a statin. I need to walk in conversation with an open mind, listen to the patient's concerns, and we draft the journey together. We draft the goals together. And maybe the goal will be for them, let me work on lifestyle for months. Let's recheck our labs. I'm willing to try supplements and then we can decide. But it can't just be my goal is you need to start a medication because you're always going to be at odds with patients in that case. Yeah, yeah. So have you... I want to get to one last question coming here in a minute about kind of how you've learned and evolved and grown as a doctor. But this notion of what you just said, I mean, I, I, we, we do a lot of coaching of, of individuals when they talk about, you know, being overwhelmed by going from meeting to meeting and, and just forgetting why they're in the meeting. And we try to coach people about 
what are you thinking before you walk into the room? What are you saying to yourself? The notion of internal dialogue and self-talk. And I'm wondering, is this, it's not even a skill, but the mindset that you clearly have developed here, that, that where, where you get your intention located in the needs of the patient, which, which frankly is a rare thing. Most of us are more hung up, says many different sources. We're more hung up on how we feel than how the other person feels. And therein lies a lot of communication dysfunction. My question is, where did you redirect from yourself to this notion of, I can't go in with the medicine. I've got to go in and understand what the patient's going through. That actually comes down to our philosophy of care. And again, it wasn't by accident. It was really intentional. We actually have coaching at One Medical and we coach other clinicians on how to enhance the clinician patient experience. And we have leaders who go through training to understand what this actually means. It is not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's important. And I always tell people, Understanding the system of medicine is as important as understanding the science of medicine. In medical school, we're taught the science, and I'm saying that the science is easy. You can verify truths through empirical testing, and that's the science. But in our career that we learn, there's just so many more intricacies in relationships with people, in the system of medicine, even thinking about things like How does race play a role in disparities in health outcomes? How might resources or lack of resources drive our patient options for medications they're willing to try or not try? And so I think just having a broader global perspective, it's so much more than the science. And it's something that we are really never going to perfect. It's something we have to keep working towards. And even for me, I, I really love that you caught the fact that I'm still learning because I am still learning this. And I will tell you, I still fail at this, but I want to keep trying. I think my patients who know me now, they know that I'm sincere in putting their needs before mine. And that's where the trust comes from. One last question. Um, there's the old saying about, you know, if if I knew then, if I, if I, how does it go? Let me make sure I got it even written down. If I knew then what I know now, right? I, I would be curious as somebody who's obviously grown in a very, very, if not the most challenging kind of work, um, what advice at the point in, in your practice that you are now, what advice would you give to the younger version of you coming out of medical school and the residency, what have you learned that you didn't know before that is really important for her to understand? You know, it's, for me, it's interesting. It's really understanding what healthcare is. And a lot of people have preconceived notions about why they enter medicine and what they love about medicine. But at the end of the day, Primary care in particular is really about empowering patients in their health journey. And it's about serving in the passenger seat and letting patients sit in the driver's seat. And I think just really acknowledging, is this something that you can do in this field? And can you do this in the field and wake up every morning and be happy in this industry and take the industry with all the other things that it comes with, right? So it comes with prior authorizations and insurance companies and all those things that, you know, doctors wring their hands about, 
But ultimately, it's about the patient. And are you willing to go on this journey with the patient wherever they will take you? If you're willing to say yes to that, you will be happy every single day of medicine, even the most challenging days. What's nice in talking to you and in listening to not only obviously how much you care about your patients, but I can, I can listen pretty carefully to the in-between stuff. And you really are, at least you come across, even on Zoom, even with technology, you come across as someone deeply committed to doing this incredibly challenging work right. And I am just very appreciative that you've taken a few minutes out of, especially in Arizona, right? I mean, it's a, there are things going on that I'm sure could take your time in a higher and better way, but you've been just so helpful and your patients are lucky to have you. Thank you, doctor. Thank you so much.